2: Mission sequence start. See, Elijah Wan
0: has David Robinson just bamboozled. Kelly out of the corner for three
2: innings. Don't ever underestimate the heart of a champion. Yeah.
0: The Houston Rockets select Yao Ming.
2: McGrady at the buzzer. Yeah!
1: yeah. Thompson steps right, shoots for the win of three, and got it! I know what we need to do. I know exactly what we need
0: to do. Russell Westbrook, James Harden. I know what's at stake. It's gonna be scary. Not for us.
1: What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, Jackson Gatlin. You can find me on Twitter at jt Gatlin. You can also find our show on Twitter at Locked On Rockets. And hey, if you enjoy what we do here at Locked On Rockets, do me a favor: subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya, wherever it is you listen to your podcast. Please subscribe to us. Maybe leave us a review if you got the time. I do read those. I genuinely appreciate every single one that we get and hey drop us some stars share us on social media that's how we get the podcast out there to other diehard rockets fans now joining me today is Rockets Legend Rockets podcast legend Rockets blogger Ben DuBose how's it going today Ben? Going pretty well Jackson. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. You know I'm I'm excited about Small ball. So, hey, I don't want to bury this. We got to get this out of the way and deal with this, nip this in the bud right now. What are we calling Rockets small ball? There's been a a lot of names out there to start. What are we calling it? What are we trying to make the official slogan for Rockets small ball?
0: Yeah, pocket Rockets seems to be catchiest, but I don't know that the team would love that. But also small ball is so generic. It's been done before. However, because Daryl Morey had the musical small ball. That's kind of where I'm leaning. I'm torn. Like I said, Pocket Rockets is catchier, but also I think the guys in the locker room
1: probably don't like it that much. Small Ball is the Gerald Morey musical, so I'm rolling with that for the time being. Okay, good. I'm glad we're on the same page. I started calling it Small Ball as well, and then there's the other one floating around out there, a Micro Ball, which I'm just I'm I'm not a fan of that whatsoever.
0: No, that's just a little. Look, it's not micro. It's small on a relative basis. I think they're all are all still very large human beings. And the other thing too, I know we'll get into this more, but the Rockets height is not everything. Robert Covington, I noticed this in the Boston game, that seven foot two wingspan, he plays like a six eight, a six nine player. So height isn't everything. These guys aren't tiny. They're smaller on a proportional basis to most teams, but Microball. It's not really catchy and it overstates it. So I think either Pocket Rockets based on just the catchy nature of it or uh, Small Ball because that's probably the most fair and you've got the Daryl Morey musical component to it as well.
1: Okay, so first things first, we have to backtrack just a little bit, right? We have to go back to, we'll go back to the day that the trade was officially consummated. What were your immediate thoughts on the Rockets choosing to deal Clint Capella and really go all in to the, you know, Maury ball philosophy of threes, layups, and dunks, but more specifically, you know, the spacing and really, you know, going all in with this, you know, Daryl Maury, Mike D'Antoni vision for this team.
0: I didn't mind the deal. Philosophically, I understand why now, it did. The sticker shot got me a little bit the night of having to give up that 2020 first round pick. That stings. Although when you look at it, Minnesota had the leverage. They wanted two first round picks. And also with this first round pick, it's a weak draft and it's almost assuredly going to be in the 20s. That's almost like a high second in a lot of years. So it's not really that valuable and the Rockets, this was the best guy, the three and D wing, Robert Cummington on the market. So the sticker shock got me a little bit at first, but I understand why. And no, I don't think it had anything to do with Tillman-Fertitta, the, the luxury tax. I think Minnesota just had the leverage in this deal and they got two first-run picks. Now, of course, they flipped the Houston first to Denver and got um, Beasley and Moore. But the point is, they viewed Robert Covington as that much of an asset. And to this point, early in his Rockets career, four games in, he's largely played like it. And the reason I support it, There's a couple of reasons. First off, this is not a riddle. This is someone that signed through 2022. He's in that same age core, 29, 30, 31, right there with James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Eric Gordon. So you've got a lot of alignment there. He's going to be there for the long term. It's something that they've really tried to fill ever since losing Trevor Ariza. But I don't think that even truly encapsulates what Covington brings because Ariza at his age, even if they could bring Ariza back today... I don't think he's nearly the same player. So he provides you some of the things that Ariza did two years ago, but also a guy who's just 29 years old and isn't falling off a cliff in regards to his game and the aging curve. So it's not just this year. It's the next couple of years as well. Russell Westbrook, one of the best things to me about the Rockets, it's opened my eyes that maybe the window is a little bit more open the next two years that I had thought, because the version of, what, of Russ that we have seen the last, really, two months It's a lot more explosive than I had ever imagined going into the year. So maybe your formula isn't just how long can you squeeze out peak James Harden. If you have that version of Russ, maybe. And I'm not going to say that your odds get better because you do get older. But at least the window is open. So I like the fact that Covington, is signed for multiple years. He gives you what you need in terms of 3 and D. He spaces the floor for Russ. So all of that is sort of my introductory thoughts on why I think it fits. In terms of the X's and O's look even when the Rockets have been at their best this year Jackson I've never had the feeling that this is a team that's at the level of the Milwaukee Bucks or even the Lakers on a consistent basis now certainly they beat the Lakers last week and we know they've beaten the Clippers twice they have these highs but even when they played at their best the eight game winning streak in November towards the end of December when they beat the Clippers at Staples they had the wins at home over the Nuggets the Sixers both by double digits It never really felt like, okay, this is the 65-win juggernaut from two years ago. There were just better teams. And so if you're the Rockets, not only are you maximizing Russ because you need more floor spacing, it's tough to have two non-shooters, which between Russ and traditional center you would have. Now you have the paint open, Russ's paint points are exploding, he's tying these records from Shaq and whatnot. All of that makes a lot of sense from an X's and O's perspective, but... Just philosophically, when you look at the landscape of the NBA, the Western Conference, you need to do something outside of the box. And so this small ball lineup, it increases your variance. It might make you more prone to an upset, more prone to, say, losing to the Phoenix Suns by a lot, which they did. Now, granted, there was no Westbrook. There was also no Eric Gordon for most of that game, so extenuating circumstances. But to me the Rockets had to make a gamble, and even if it lowers their floor, I think clearly by becoming more versatile defensively, by becoming even more reliant and more able to shoot threes, Robert Covington over Clint Capella is clearly an upgrade there. You have raised your ceiling, as we saw against the Lakers at Staples 24 hours after the trade was announced. So to me, that's why I'm on board. The team as it was it was a good team. This was not the 65-win team from two years ago where you say, hey, you're really disrupting it. No, you've got Russell Westbrook at 31, James Harden at 30. You want to maximize this window, and I just did not have a lot of confidence with the way that it was. Not gonna say it was impossible, but it's not like you're really losing that much. Whereas now, not gonna say they're the favorites. But at least there's a case. You can see how that upside has risen against the likes of the Lakers, the Bucks, whoever it may be. Matt Moore, a.k.a. HP Basketball, has talked about that. So to me, just from a broad philosophical standpoint, that's why I'm all in on this. I just wasn't sold on the direction they were going. I felt like they had reached their potential. And this gives you a lot more unpredictability going into the playoffs. And given what what we saw over the first 50 games, I think unpredictability is a good thing at this point.
1: I completely agree with you. I couldn't agree more. I think it really... Daryl Morey, it's, it's almost like a doubling down of the initial trade to acquire Russell Westbrook where, you know, I think that's something we talked about a bit earlier this season where acquiring Westbrook, we thought originally maybe raised your floor because of his availability. But then we I think we slowly realized that Westbrook essentially lowers the floor compared to what you had with Chris Paul, but he does raise the ceiling. And so I view this move as a true doubling down of that ideology where now the floor is possibly even lower with this new small ball Rockets team, but the ceiling is even higher. And we mentioned You know, Russell Westbrook playing, you know, as well as he has over the last two months or so, just to throw some numbers out there, at least in the calendar year of 2020 is what I have pulled up so far. He's averaging 33 points, eight rebounds, seven assists, almost two steals a game on 52% shooting. He's dropped his three point attempts to just over two a game. I mean, the guy has completely transformed his version of basketball to fit with this team needs to essentially he's basically the center offensively. You know, he's your paint presence as opposed to, you know, a traditional big that many other teams do have. So as far as this iteration of this team, I'm in complete agreement with you that they weren't necessarily favorites, you know, with the current version, but they doubled down on it. This new version is exciting. Robert Covington fits exactly what this team needed on the wing, and it's going to be exciting to see what they're able to do moving forward. Now, we got to hit this break really quickly, but we'll be right back here with Ben Rockets Wire editor, in just one moment, so you guys don't go anywhere.
2: Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
1: And we are back in here at Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Chatting with RocketsWire editor Ben Dubose. Now, Ben, I have... I do have some reservations, as do many others, about this new Rockets small ball lineup. And I think one of them is just we've seen we've wondered how this team is going to look defensively. And honestly, they've looked pretty good defensively so far. Wouldn't you agree?
0: Yeah, I would. I mean, the synergies that you're already seeing between Peter Tucker and Robert Covington, there's trust there. Even with Clint Capella, he just didn't have the body type. I'm not saying he was a bad defensive player. He was a rim protector. He was a really good rebounder. But he wasn't the guy, the dog, that P.J. Tucker could point to and trust on these switches, which are such a big part of the Rockets' scheme. You can just see a ton of trust between P.J., who, of course, is the defensive ace, the anchor, and Robert Covington. That's a big deal. And then when you get Eric Gordon back, to me, his absence this week has been an underrated storyline, certainly against the Jazz, when things really went wrong for them in the fourth quarter, aside from just the Horrible luck on the Bogdanovich three at the buzzer. Donovan Mitchell, especially once Harden picked up his fifth foul, they just had no one to stop dribble penetration. At times, we saw that against the Celtics with uh, Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward. So I think you'll get a little bit better once you get uh, Eric Gordon back to try and stop that dribble penetration. Also, an underrated part of it when you get your full cast of characters back and you have Eric Gordon, I presume he'll go back to starting at small forward, then it gives you more versatility in terms of what you're doing with Daniel House Jr. Right now, you might be having to overextend him a little bit because you don't really have that much depth. Right now, you're just playing uh, three bodies, a tight eight-man rotation. So I think you'll also be a little bit more flexible in terms of the matchups, what you can do with Daniel House Jr. and perhaps have him a little bit better on the uh, perimeter as well. But yeah, I like... What I've seen so far, Covington and Tucker, they seem to be really good fits. Despite the lack of height, as I said leading off the podcast, Covington, that seven foot 2 wingspan, that means a lot. And then it's a subtle thing, but I think Russell Westbrook continues to get a little bit better on defense as well. I noticed after the game last night, the Boston game, he mentioned that it was by far the most that he switched in his entire NBA career. And that's something that takes time, even over the course of a full season going into the playoffs. He still gets a little bit better. So we talked about all the improvements on offense, the spacing, he's scoring 34 points a game, 53% shooting, the mini Giannis role, and you know, I'm sure we'll get back to uh, offense in a little bit. Side note, I've got to push back, we were in the conversation last night with um, Stanford KP, Roosh Williams, all those guys on Twitter, you know, and I could not push back more strongly enough on the notion that We've seen what a Russell Westbrook-led team can do because we have not seen this Russell Westbrook. Now, you might say that in Oklahoma City, but I don't buy that because those teams in Oklahoma City failed with Russ leading the way that these can't. Because as you mentioned, and we closed out the first segment, the shot pro- profile is so dramatically different. The threes way down, more efficient than ever in terms of getting in the paint, more explosive than ever somehow, even at 31 years old. So... Sorry for getting sidetracked. I know we're talking about the defense, but I want to get that off my chest about Ross before I forget about it. But defensively, I think he's a guy that's going to get more comfortable as the season moves along. I think Austin Rivers certainly how much he can play depends on how well he's making threes, but he's a guy that has valuable oddball defense. So, yeah, I like it. And in terms of the rebounding battle, that's always going to be an issue when you're that small. But what encourages me the most, Jackson, certainly they can hold their own on the perimeter Covington and Tucker, they can switch on everything. The big question is, are you giving up too much in terms of height and rebounding? Well, the two games that they have been fully dialed in, I would say, the Lakers and the Celtics, the Lakers, that's a giant team. The Rockets only lost the rebounding battle by one. Against the Celtics, they only lost it by three. And that's part of what I think the Rockets kind of see as their motivation for doing this. The one big question about this, more than anything else, is, okay... How much fatigue is this going to take out of them? How tired are they going to have to be going up against bigger bodies and having to try this hard? Well, the thing about it, in the playoffs, there's no back-to-backs, especially in the early rounds, we have lots of two, even three days off in between games. So I think the formula, it might hurt them a little bit in the regular season, the grind, so to speak. But with so much of it being dependent on effort these days... To me, that's why I think it's a small consideration, but it could be something that the Rockets are sort of thinking about that, hey, when you get to the playoffs, it's a little bit easier to play that style than it is right now in the regular season.
1: And to kind of build on that same point, historically, that might be one of the reasons that we've seen the Rockets in the last couple of years be a better second half team, you know, post All Star break than they were in the first half of the season, because they have been one of the older teams in the league. And so, with an older, more veteran core of guys, you know, they know when they need to dial it up. And, you know, maybe in the earlier season, there are some games where, you know, you're not playing at 110% energy or effort like you should be from the get go. And then maybe the reality just sets in post All Star break where, hey, this is the final stretch of the season. We've got be playing our best brand of basketball, going into the playoffs, and we've got to finish the season out strong as opposed to some of the, you know, lackadaisical games that we had earlier in the season. Now, some numbers that I want to throw your way, Ben, I'm not sure if you are aware of this. I think it got posted on Twitter earlier. I I forget by who, but it's a small sample size. But in 39 minutes, the Rockets have a lineup of Tucker, Westbrook, Harden, Covington, and House Jr. that has an offensive rating that's posted at 125.3 with a defensive rating of 98.8 for a total net rating of 26.5. Now, I know it's a small sample size, but that's pretty promising. Yeah, absolutely. And the one
0: thing, I'm not saying to do anything drastic just yet, but the one thing that's sort of in the back of my mind, boy, has Daniel House Jr. ever found a second wind? I don't know what was going on. December, early January, but he has really bounced back. It seems like that he's almost taken this as a challenge. He spent a lot of time either at the four or now. I don't know if you consider Covington or House the four, but regardless, because they're small, they have to expend a lot more energy, try and fight on the glass, those types of things. And House seems to be really relishing the challenge on both ends. He seems to have really found himself, which is an underrated storyline of how they've won Right now, five of their last seven games, six out of nine, eight of 12. House, when you consider relative to a month ago when we were talking about what is wrong with this guy, he sort of found it. And I feel a part of it, the catalyst, has been getting back in that starting lineup. I'm not saying that I'm willing to flip long term to House and Covington as your three and your four and Goving- and uh almost called him Govington. Gordon as your six-man But long term, I think you at least have to keep an open mind. It wasn't like when the Rockets went back to uh, Eric Gordon at the three that Mike D'Antoni said, hey, this is how it's going to be. No, it was more, "Okay, we're trying this, but we're going to see what works. And again, I don't think it's something that Eric Gordon has lost his job. But if there's something in these synergies, certainly they're playing well together. But beyond that, if it holds up, maybe this is the ticket. And who knows? Maybe having house at the three helps offset the loss of a traditional center in the size that you get from someone like Clint Capella. Again, it's not something that I'm committing to. It's just something that I'm kind of keeping an open mind to as we go down the stretch of the season and the Rockets try and optimize exactly what the right grouping is for the starters and, of course, for the uh, second units off the bench.
1: You know, it's funny that you say that because just in the pod that went out earlier today, so as we're recording this on a Wednesday evening, uh, the Recap Celtics podcast, I actually posited that I would like to see Daniel House stay in the starting lineup, even upon Eric Gordon's return. I just think that having Eric Gordon's scoring punch off the bench and the versatility of being able to stagger the minutes a bit better between that of Harden, Westbrook, and Gordon keeping at all times two out of the three on the court at all times becomes a little bit easier if Gordon's coming off the bench as opposed to starting. But in addition to that, I, I also, to kind of build on what you were talking about as far as the kind of, you know, rebounding and, the, you know, the, the effort level, I guess, of what you're getting out of this starting group. I thought that there was a clip circulating on social media from Dwayne Wade in the, I guess, the TNT postgame right after the Rockets beat the Celtics. And I think he really put it the best way possible because I was kind of scratching my head wondering why this group of guys couldn't have played this way defensively. You know, the way that they're rebounding, the way that it seems like they're just trying harder on defense now without Clint Capella. It seems to me that... And Dwayne Wade kind of confirmed this. He basically said, when you've got a group of guys out there that are giving up so much height that they don't have a traditional center, a traditional big to rely on sitting back there in the paint, they know that they have to work together as a collective unit more so than they did when they did have Capella. They don't have that safety net anymore. And I was wondering, you know, again, why they couldn't have brought this, you know, energy about when they did have Capella, but it does make a bit of sense that now they know they have to defend as a team, they have to rebound as a committee, and it was cool to see a former player and a player of the caliber of Dwayne Wade kind of comment on that in the post game.
0: Yeah, I think that's a very good point. It kind of gets back to what I was saying about House, I think. And if you talk to him or listen to his interviews, you've heard him mention relishing the challenge. And I think that's part of it, that they sort of feed off of that. James Harden, who, thank goodness, uh, the month of February, Harden has finally bounced back. He had 40 plus against Boston. I think of his six games in February, 40, that's the point total, 40 or more that he's had in three of them, so he's playing well, and typically when Harden sees the ball go in on offense, that translates to to more effort on the defensive end, and I think he said something, I forget which game it was, but something very similar in that they take it essentially on them. They know, especially when they're small, that they have to embrace that challenge and fight, and that's what they've done. The only question, to get back to what you were saying about House and starting versus the bench, I agree that there's something that's changed about House and he does bring you a little bit more length to potentially make you not quite as small ball or micro ball, whatever you want to call it. The only reason I could see Mike D'Antoni wanting to go back to House off the bench is he's another big body, or at least big on this team, 6'6", that you could throw in there for Tucker, for Covington when they come out. Whereas with Gordon, sure, you'd have him dispel Harden, Westbrook when they come out. But at the same time, you also have Austin Rivers. There's smaller players that are there. Whereas up front, all you really have is Tavo, who isn't that established. There seems to be a cap at about 12 minutes a game, although he's played really well of late. The one exception, the big if in my mind with this Rockets team, what happens with Bruno? If Bruno Caboclo is, or or Caboclo, excuse me, is legitimate, if Bruno can play... Then all of a sudden, that gives you a lot more options. Certainly, six foot nine, seven foot seven, you potentially have something close to a traditional center, at least in terms of length and rim protection. But beyond that, it also might free you up more because that could be the one hesitation I see in terms of do you start Daniel House or do you keep him in there? Is okay, well, if he starts, the only real piece you have up front coming off that bench is um, Tabo, who's about limited to 12 minutes. However, if you have both Tabo and Bruno and you feel pretty comfortable, then that opens up a lot more options. So defensively, I think it'd be better if you were taller, to give you a lot more options. It would help you not wear out as games move along. I'm with you on all of those things. But... I think in terms of how realistic it is in practice, Bruno's availability, we know medically he'll be cleared after the All-Star break. But can he earn the trust to get a look from Mike D'Antoni? To me, that's sort of a big storyline to keep uh, watching over the next few days. And of course, uh, the buyout market overseas as well. The Rockets have two open roster spots. Can they bring in outside help to uh, fortify that depth as well?
1: And speaking of health, post-All-Star break, Eric Gordon will return against the Golden State Warriors February 20th, I want to say it is, their first game back after the All-Star break. So he'll be back in shape, good to go, you know, no worries there. I think it was just probably just preventative. They didn't want to play him in the in the Jazz game or in the Boston Celtics game, just give him a bit of extended rest to get him right coming back out of the All-Star break for that final push headed into the playoffs. Now, we've got our final segment coming up here in just a second, so we'll hit this quick break and be right back.
2: Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
1: And we are back in here for our final segment at Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, chatting with Rockets Wire editor and former Locked On Rockets podcast host, Mr. Ben Bose. Now, Ben, we've got these two open roster spots on the Rockets roster that we, you know, you briefly mentioned there at the end of segment 2. You know, are there any buyout candidates that you have in mind that kind of are, you know, kind of have risen to the top or the cream of the crop of the current buyout market in your eyes, at least? The one name that I'm looking at in terms of uh, guys who are potentially
0: available in the near future is actually Ryan Brokoff of the Mavs, who they waived to sign Michael Kidd Gilchrist. I know he's not really a center, but he does have some length to him six foot six, six foot seven, and more importantly, he's a 40% three-point shooter he can really stroke it and I believe if you claim him you get his early bird rights he'll be a restricted free agent so he's not even necessarily a guy you would lose this summer now other teams can claim him as well but you have to have an open roster spot which not that many teams have and a guy who's 29 years old how many non-contenders would really want to grab him so I do think there's a chance if the Rockets want him that they could make a claim I believe that uh his waiver period will expire at about 4 p.m. Central time on Thursday. So it would not su- surprise me if they went down that road with Brokoff, who's been with the Dallas Mavs this year, played sparingly. But again, Mike D'Antoni, you could use more shooters. We've talked about it. For a team that shoots as many threes as the Rockets do, if you'd like to see them have a couple more true marksmen, that could be an opportunity. Beyond that, I'm actually looking, and they do have two open roster spots. But I'm expecting them to go big and maybe add some insurance. We talked towards the end of segment, two about Bruno, whether at 24 years old, the Brazilian KD, is he finally ready two years away? and Or two years away from being two years away. Maybe this is finally the time he showed you some flashes in Memphis. But we know Mike D'Antoni at times is not of a very long leash with younger players. I tend to think they'll go big only because the names that have been on the buyout market so far, the big names, uh, Marvin Williams, uh, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, since the deadline, we have not heard word one about the Rockets linked to those guys. It isn't like the Rockets have said, like, say, Markeith Morris a year ago when they clearly went after him, but he chose Oklahoma City. No, what's been really striking is that we have not heard anything from the Rockets at all. So what that tells me is that they're probably focused on someone else. And I tend to think it's, a big, maybe they're still hoping, you know, over the all star break, you're going to have this dead period around the league. Maybe Tristan Thompson and his reps with Cleveland think one more time about, hey, do I really want to fight a buyout? Because with all the bigs up front in Cleveland now, how many minutes am I going to get anyway? What are my chances of re signing? I know he'd lose his bird rights by buying out, but at the same time, if you're not going to stick in Cleveland and who knows what the market's going to look like this summer anyway in terms of signing trades, I don't know. Maybe they consider now that you have over a week to kind of clear your head and think about things during a buyout. Maybe they're holding out for one last run at Tristan. We'll have to wait and see. Beyond that, you've got your um, Biombo types that could be bought out, more traditional bigs that kind of give you a hedge on Bruno, as we were saying earlier. I also think Mati Yunus, Yudo, you've got some players that have been in China and now... That you've got the whole coronavirus situation, the CBA basically suspending activities. Those guys could be available even earlier than usual. You don't have to wait until uh, March. We saw Mati Yunus here in uh, late September, I believe, with his team, the Shanghai Sharks. So that could be an option. But the fact that you've seen two, I don't know if you would call Marvin Williams a wing, but he's certainly not a traditional center. Marvin Williams, MKG, you've seen these guys go without any link to the Rockets, the fact that we haven't really heard it, that tells me that at least with one of those two spots, I think the Rockets know they want some size. When you think back to the origins of, origins of this whole small ball experiment towards the beginning of the last week, it was during the Super Bowl that the bomb leak that the Rockets were really looking at this. And the initial report from Jonathan Fagan of the Chronicle was that the Rockets weren't really committing full time to small ball. That they wanted someone to play close to Capella's 30 minutes per game. Now, maybe that was exaggerated a little bit. I don't know, but I also don't think that they would say that if it was a non-factor at all. So I'm thinking with two open roster spots and now the luxury tax isn't a factor at all, you're well below that by more than $5 after going from Capella's salary to Covington's, then to me, I just sort of suspect that they do want one more big body that's at least an option for certain matchups in the playoffs. I think they would love it if Bruno won that role. He has more youth and upside but I think they might want to kind of hedge and so be it a more traditional type maybe you get lucky and Tristan has second thoughts and wants to force his way out of Cleveland maybe it's an overseas guy that comes over but I just sort of think with the lack of activity on Marvin Williams and MKG that you are going to have a big at one point maybe it's over the All-Star break maybe it's later than that but I do think at least one of those spots is earmarked for a big a more veteran presence that you can kind of platoon with uh, Bruno and then see by the playoffs, who's more uh, ready for the opportunity.
1: You know, he doesn't quite fit the veteran presence, Bill, but I was really upset to see that Jonah Bolden went to the Phoenix Suns on a 10-day contract. I thought he was a name that was pretty interesting for the Rockets, and to see them kind of miss out on that, it just, it, it feels to me, like you said, that maybe they do have their eyes on a specific target or a couple targets in mind, which is why they've been so silent regarding all this, regarding buyout candidates. But past that, we're going to take a quick peek at the schedule which as we record this podcast there's actually 3 teams that are playing tonight the Mavericks the Jazz and the Nuggets that could very well lose and therefore impact the standings and honestly we'd like all three of those teams to lose now whether or not that happens the Mavs are playing the Kings the Jazz are playing the Miami Heat in Utah and then the Lake or, or I apologize the Nuggets are playing the Lakers in Denver so I'm not sure how those games are going to swing, but as it stands right now, the Rockets are sitting kind of comfortably in the fifth spot, a game and a half back of the Utah Jazz after losing the heartbreaker to them in Houston Sunday evening, and then they're two whole games ahead of the Oklahoma City Thunder. So they're kind of comfortably in that fifth spot. Do we see them really being able to make a push and kind of creep into that two or three spot range, or do we think that's out of the realm of possibility at this point?
0: No, I think they could. That Clippers loss really opened up a lot more possibilities when they lost in Philly. They've also got the game in Boston. Maybe Boston can do you a favor. But I think, you know, the Rockets, they've won two out of three against the Clippers already. That seems to be a pretty favorable matchup, or at least it was when they had Cape- Capella. We'll have to wait and see the finale in which they can clinch the tiebreaker is March 5th in Houston. But I do think there's a chance the Clippers look somewhat vulnerable. Even the Lakers have not played that well. They're 6-4 and four in their last 10, but... That There's an eight-game gap in the lost column. That's a lot to make up. But I think certainly the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Jazz, those are attainable. You know, the Nuggets, as well as they're playing, their point differential isn't even at plus four. Now, neither is the Rockets, but the point is that they're four games in front, and yet they're not even really all that commanding in terms of their margin of victory. So I do think they could potentially fall back a little bit. And the Rockets, their schedule is, I don't want to say easy, but it does ease up. We've been through the tougher... Uh, part of the schedule in January so I feel pretty good about where they're at to me the biggest thing and the Mavs are getting Luka back but you finally got a little bit of separation it's only two games but as compact as the Western Conference is two games feels like a lot winning the Southwest is so big because that also plays into the other tiebreakers so many of them three-way ties certainly but beyond that you split with the Nuggets. You could very well split with the Clippers. And if the Rockets win their division, they are going to be in a better spot over a lot of teams that they are competing with. So the fact that you've gotten a bit of a cushion over Dallas, I think that bodes pretty well. And, and to me, as I see it, I think you'd like to get to you know the two, the three seed. But to me, the far and away biggest priority, just get home court advantage in round one of the playoffs. Because there are so many good teams in the West, even towards the bottom of the bracket. The Thunder, now that they didn't trade Gallinari, and they're locked in. The Blazers, the Grizzlies, whoever it is that ends up being uh, the eight seed. We saw what the Blazers did against the Lakers a week ago. Everybody is going to be tough. So I don't really think this is a year where even in round one, you can get a matchup where you say, okay, we're clearly going to win this series or should, barring something catastrophic. No, you're going to have to earn it. So to me... I do think they could potentially get to the two or the three seed, but kind of the consolation that I get out of it is, you know what, even if they don't, if you can just get up to the four seed, just get home court advantage and at least one round, hope for the best, and then this year's playoffs are going to be wide open. There's a lot of good teams to very good. I don't really see any great teams, and if you're starting to get James Harden figured out, which I think he is, if you've got Russell Westbrook, if you can continue to play this well, and let's give kudos to the Rockets, by the way. They have stuck with, at least with Russell Westbrook, that load management. Maybe that's paying off in terms of how much he's improving as his season moves along. Even with the losses, the hits they've taken, they haven't bent at all when it comes to the back-to-back plan. Maybe he'll be more fresh for the playoffs. But really, my priority, you'd like to get to the two or the three. But if you can even just get to the four home court advantage in round one, take your chances. Because really, I don't see a ton of variance. Whoever you play in the first round, they are going to challenge you this year.
1: Absolutely. The Western Conference is as cutthroat as as it has ever been. Now, kind of looking at the Western Conference playoff picture, you know, it's pretty solid, the top seven that are going to be in there. There's a little bit of possibilities of that eighth seed not being the Memphis Grizzlies as it stands right now. The Trailblazers are actually three games out of the playoffs, so three games back of the Grizzlies for that eighth spot. The Spurs... About five, four, five and a half, four and a half games back. There we go. Do we see just kind of branching away from the Rockets and just more NBA at large? How how do you see that eighth spot playing out? Do you think the Grizzlies are going to be the ones that walk away with it, or do you think another team's going to make a push in the second half of the season and come away with that eighth seed?
0: It's close. Um, I'm not as sold on the Grizzlies as everybody else. They're a great story. I would love to see them in the playoffs. But at the same time, Portland has underachieved for so much of this season, and you have the individual brilliance of Damian Lillard. I know that they've started to pull back just a little bit over the last few days, but we've seen their upside. You know, that game that the Rockets lost in Portland a couple of weeks ago, I don't really think that the Rockets played that poorly. I thought it was more the Blazers played that well, and then we saw it a couple of nights after that when they beat the Lakers. That was the first game after uh, Kobe's death at Staples Center, and they went in there, Lillard played great, and they took that game. I believe they beat the Jazz, and they should have beaten the Jazz last week in Utah. So this is a team that, to me, has a lot of upside. Now you've added the stability with mid midseason. You've got the experience last year, the Western Conference Finals run. I don't think they're world beaters by any means, but there's a lot more veteran presence to the Blazers than there is to the Memphis Grizzlies, who are so young. Personally, I would like to see Memphis get in the playoffs more because of the John ja Morant factor. They would just be so fun. However, there's a part of me that can't shake Look, it's Damian Lillard. This is a guy who's been a top five player in the league over the past month. So, I know there's a four game difference in the loss column as we're recording this Wednesday night. But to me, it's close to fifty fifty. Just because I think, at least historically, the Blazers hit a lot more of the uh, the marks on paper than the Grizzlies do. And so, while I would love to see the young Grizzlies prove me wrong, it's a small market to be great for the league. I'm maintaining a little bit of skepticism down the stretch of the season.
1: Let me hit you with one more hypothetical. Say the New Orleans Pelicans make a push for that eighth seed. How much of a spark would that be as a first-round matchup? The former LA Lakers against Anthony Davis. Oh, my goodness.
0: Yeah, exactly. And to me, that's the good thing is that all of these teams are talking about. Memphis with Morant, Portland with Damian Lillard, um, New Orleans with Zion. And they didn't really make any big changes at the deadline. You kept Drew Holiday. All of these teams have upside. This is not your typical year in which the eight seed. Now, they might be close to 500. But this is the type of team that, at least in a short series, can give you a lot of sleepless nights. They can make the Lakers work. Now, can they beat them four times out of seven? I don't know about that. But I go back to what I just referenced a few minutes ago, which was what Lillard did against the Lakers a couple of weeks ago. When you have that level of individual brilliance, and I'm not putting Zion on that level just yet, but certainly there's a reason why he's been hyped as much as he is. He does have transcendent talent. That's what you want. The one seed out West is the only seed, in my opinion, and that's why it's a shame that it's probably off the table for the Rockets, that you can feel good about the first round. The rest of it, really, from two through seven, assuming Luka gets healthy, which he should be for the Mavs, they're going to be fine. The Thunder, they've been sustained enough at this point. I think they're pretty legitimate, and if it's even close, Chris Paul, late in close games, has a way of stealing those for you. By the way, early on in the podcast, you mentioned uh, you know, our calculations early in the year about the Rockets, the ceiling versus floor thing. Well, the reason that um, the floor has not been as high this year is because of the availability, You know, we talked about that being a drawback with Chris Paul and a bonus to Russ. Well, it hasn't really played out that way because with Russ, now it's not him being hurt. It's the Rockets sticking to that no back-to-back plans to make sure that he is ready to go by the playoffs. But he hasn't been out there, and Chris Paul has. And that durability, his being out there, has benefited the Thunder, and that's why they continue to win games. But really, two through seven, anybody can beat anybody. Now, I'll say the Thunder are underdogs, but with Chris Paul in a short series, you certainly can't write it off. So when you're looking at the Lakers, the one team that probably has an easier path it's unfortunate, but at least the teams they could play. While they're not as good on paper, they all have these potential opponents. Morant, Lillard, even Zion, as young as he is, they have the type of individual talent that in any game can give you headaches and take over, even if you do have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So yeah, whatever it is, I like the fact that unless it's the Spurs, and I just don't see any way that the Spurs do I know it's the Spurs, ever count them out, but unless it's the Spurs, I don't see the Lakers saying, wow, this is going to be easy. No, they're going to have to work, and even though they'll probably win, that's what the best case that you can hope for if you're a team like the Rockets are that's uh, somewhere between 2 and 7 in the West.
1: It's very much like Greg Popovich to be walking the corpse of LaMarcus Aldridge to a potential 8th seed for, I don't know, the umpteenth time, but... As, as we're kind of wrapping things up, Ben, I appreciate you taking the time to be here with us today. You know the drill. If you want to go ahead and plug the Rockets Wire stuff, let's get that taken care of.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, RocketsWire.usatoday.com, at Ben DuBose on Twitter. All those are ways that you can keep up with uh, my coverage of the team. Got some nice articles up in the last 24 hours about the push that Russell Westbrook is on, just an insane clip over really the last two months, but especially the last 14 games. And Shoot the last three since trading Clint Capella and getting all that floor spacing, he's been phenomenal. So I found an article about his statistics. It'll probably blow your mind. Three straight games, 36 plus points, 54 plus percent shooting from the field matching the longest streak in the last 20-plus years. so They've got that. We've got James Harden, as I mentioned, getting back on track. 40-plus points, three of his last six games. So the Rockets, they're stabilizing. A lot of the players are finally getting going. Now they've got, it's a veteran core, so they should benefit from this All-Star break. Now, granted, Harden and Westbrook are All-Stars, but playing the All-Star game, the practice, it's not nearly as grueling as an NBA game. So most of these guys, they're veterans. At times, we've seen it kind of become the dog days. They should be refreshed coming out of the All-Star break. And, of course, Second half of the season, we'll have you covered at Rockets Wire. Stay tuned. And, uh, yeah, next game, what? God, it's eight days away. It's so long. But, yeah, next Thursday night at Golden State. The last thing I'll say, Jackson, please let the Rockets win that game. It's a national exclusive. They're going to be fully rested. If they somehow lose to the Warriors again, having full rest with Russell Westbrook, the spacing. If they lose that game and there's not even local broadcast, you have to do the TNT, the chuckle hot after it. That would be the worst. So last thing I will say, for the love of God, please beat the Warriors.
1: Yeah, if they lose that game again to the Warriors on national TV, I'm going to just go ahead and rename the podcast to Locked On National TV Losses. (laughs) There you go. All right, Ben, we appreciate you being here. Have a good one, okay? Thank you. You too. And one more time, that was Mr. Ben DuBose of Rockets Wire, the USA Today media group for all your Houston Rockets coverage. Always happy to have Ben here on the show. You can give him a follow at Ben DuBose on Twitter. But I think that's where we will wrap things up for today. So as always, thank you all so very much for listening, for liking, for sharing, for writing reviews, for leaving stars, whatever it is that you do to be a part of the show. I appreciate you. And we hope to have you back again very, very soon right here at Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast home, for everything Houston Rockets basketball.
2: Hey Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.